Hello and welcome. My name is Joe Frost here without my co-host Peter Linus. This is Being Human. A few weeks ago, Peter and I got to sit down over Zoom and chat with the preeminent mind that is Mark Sayers, author, speaker, thinker and pastor at Red Church Melbourne, Australia. This is part two of our conversation with Mark, so do go back and listen to part one if you haven't already. Otherwise, sit back and enjoy as we chat conspiracy theories, the religious undertone of QAnon and the reconciling nature of Christian community. So in the Being Human podcast, one of the things we've been looking at is some of the story clashes, the cultural story, the God story, and uh, really focusing on the intersection of what it is to be human at this moment. When we think about clashing stories, Mark, you've used the phrase about story weapons or story wars, and we picked that up last time, and, and that leads us potentially into conspiracy theories and these kind of micro stories. So, Joe, I think you've got a question on conspiracy theories to kick us off. I do indeed. So QAnon. What is it? I don't know if anybody out there has heard about it or started to pick up. I have been following it a little bit, trying to get my head around what's going on. So A, what is it? And then secondly, I thought it was a peculiarity to American culture, and yet we're seeing it drift into the UK. What is going on there? So firstly, what is QAnon and how is it spreading? I'll try and do this as succinctly as possible because QAnon is as big as the universe. QAnon is a meta conspiracy theory is what I would call it. Um, and so you may have a conspiracy theory before, like the, you know, the astronauts didn't land on the moon or JFK, there was an extra gunman on the grassy knoll. QAnon is a conspiracy theory that begins online with a poster on the 4chan um, a message board who claimed to be an inside um, government intelligence operative who was basically leaking um, these little sort of drops of knowledge about what was happening inside the Trump campaign. And essentially the sort of big story was that um, Trump was waging a secret war against the cabal of pedophiles that were at the top of the Democratic Party uh, but also to linking into some other conspiracy theories like around the Rothschilds and sort of global elites. And then basically this sort of moment was coming, an apocalyptic moment called the storm, um, where Trump was going to finally arrest all these people and the world would see what's really going on. And it's continually to develop in increasingly religious tones, I would say, taking on even messianic elements. So it began to be that Trump was like the John the Baptist to the return of John F. Kennedy Jr., who died in a plane accident. But many believe that actually he in QAnon that he didn't and that he will appear at, um, you know, a rally and Trump will sort of it will sort of usher in America being made great again. So essentially, this grew online. And what's different to the other conspiracy theories like you? Yeah, just say you're a JFK conspiracy theory reader. You read the 20 books. Um, this is something, it's almost like there's a gamified element to it. So because there's continual drops being um, given, the, th- the theory just grows and people connect. So it's also a way of interpreting the daily news. So Trump would do certain things like he'd held up his hands like this and you know he could hold up seven fingers or something and people go, that's a sign. So it's a way of interpreting the news and reading it through this this lens. But uh, it, it had real-world implications. There was a mafia hitman who became... Um, QAnon and end up killing another mafia. At first, I thought this is just a mafia hit, but then they realized that he did it because inspired by QAnon, a guy took a car to the top of the Hoover Dam and and you know asked people to, um, you know, them to release the children. So it's it's interestingly linked into a desire against human trafficking, um, but then weaponized. So a lot of human trafficking 
um, forums have been taken over now, or sorry, not human, like anti-human trafficking NGO type forums have been taken over by QAnon followers. It's become absolutely huge. Um, started appearing at, at Trump rallies. And now there are actually candidates who have run and won seats um, for the Republican Party. So there's now QAnon candidates who are defeating establishment Republican candidates. Uh, what's really interesting is the international element of it. So it's it's spilled over into Europe. Recently in Berlin, we had, I think it was like 38,000 people march, many QAnon followers. I've seen our protests here in Melbourne, in the UK, the recent um, London anti-lockdown protests. There's something where it's also linked and sort of connected into the anti-vaxxer movement as well and elements of that and also the new age movement. So some uh, in America, it's particularly going into evangelical churches, but also going into other areas as well. Really bizarre stuff like the per, uh, the Iranian opposition movement, the MEK, which is designated a terrorist organization, has now many of them have gone QAnon. You're seeing going into right wing groups and left wing groups like Serbian paramilitary groups becoming QAnon. So it's this rapid radicalization that's happening online. So I just because, uh, yeah, some people won't have heard of it and some people are thinking, yes. oh, OK, so this is another nerdy rabbit hole that Mark's taken us down. But actually, I want to be clear. So we got the pizza gear. I think you were mentioning the other. So it does bump into the real world. People actually kill or perpetuate acts of violence against other people based on this. It's then spreading into other countries. And you mentioned just in passing thing, but in evangelicalism in the States, it's got a bit of a hold in some areas. Like, what do you mean by that? And like, because this is churches who are people in churches who are imbibing this and saying, this is real. This is something we need to get behind. Because otherwise, I think people think it might be a bit of a, an abstract thing over here. But this is taking hold of church culture in places. Yeah. And it's already happening in the UK. I can, I know of of that. Um, so, and when so, you say taking hold, um, what do we mean? Like, what does that mean? You've got some fringe person on a church who likes this, or is there something more substantial here? So, so we have significant, and I'm just hesitant to name names, but we have significant leading, well-known evangelical figures in the United States who are now full QAnon supporters and who are giving QAnon messages through their Instagrams. Um, and um, so there are churches who I know, you know, I've heard of who have come back from lockdown. They haven't been together for three months or whatever, have come back. And pastors have um, discovered that a third of their church has now become QAnon followers, even to the point of putting pressure on pastors um, to actually need to address it um, from the pulpit. That's that's happening in Australia. That's happening in the UK. Not to the numbers yet, but it's it's beginning already. And so some of the stuff that even the terms you hear like pandemic and all of this, this emerges from QAnon language. So if you're not familiar with it, some of the languages is actually seeping down into the culture and particularly being uh, accelerated by, um, you know, the, the pandemic. And one thing that, as I read about evangelical churches dealing with, and not just evangelicals, this is happening in Islam, this is happening in synagogues, this is happening all over the place, but particularly reading about evangelicals dealing with this, it reminded me a lot of when I read um, around terrorism, and particularly in places like Australia and the UK, where you had imams in mosques having to deal with radicalization of young people. It's, it's very similar. Um, so a lot of it's being driven by online radicalization. A radicalization you- to to what? Sorry, Joe. Yeah, he come. I mean, but to, what is what are you being radicalized to in QAnon? Um, so I would say you're radicalized to a radical worldview, um, and I would say it's quite a um, you know where you see authority figures, um, and there's even churches where then the pastor, if they speak against it, is seen as part of this link to this global elite. So it's very much a Manichaean sort of worldview of the good people and 
those, you know, the, the good people who see this and those people who are blind. So a lot of the language of being awoken to this, of seeing, like they, people talk about as a religious awakening. So I would classify it as a 21st century internet driven kind of Christian heresy. Wow. That is coming into churches at a hyper speed. And what do you think is the attraction? What What is it that's motivating people to, to find this and, and find it compelling? I think one of the things is the world has become so um, ra- the amount of information that we're dealing with is we're getting lost. Marshall McLuhan, the Canadian you know, Christian media theorist, he, he said that when the information um, you know overload that people are going to get, um, which he saw in the global village, will actually mean that people return to what he called the old mythic patterns is they'll start to look for the religious patterns of meaning because they'll just be swamped by so much meaning. Uh, so, so, so much information. So, you know, stuff happens on the news and the world's like, um, you think of this year, like started with the Australian bushfires. We then had the assassination of Kasim Soleimani. Um, you know, then we went into COVID. Then you have Black Lives Matter protests. You've got protests all over the world. It's just like one thing after another, you know, and you could go back to last year. So this is almost punch drunk. And particularly because we see this through video now, people's heads are spinning. So they, the world is so complex that this is a filter to actually understand it and put it through, again, a hermeneutic, a way of understanding the world. So it gives people a way of reading the news. The other thing I would say is that it's the secularization of spiritual warfare language. So spiritual warfare language, which you know Christians would use, that there are forces of principalities and powers in the world, the New Testament would use, it politicizes them. So the principalities and powers are... Bill Gates and the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi and the good, the saints are those who realize this being led by the sort of John the Baptist figure of Donald Trump. So I think the punch drunk resonates for me in terms of people like they're just, they're overwhelmed. Um, and then we're looking for that lens. So, I mean, this is a meta story again, in a sense, QAnon or conspiracy is trying to give you a singular lens, right? This is a way, a filter in which to read the news because you can't cope with the amount of information overload and mis or disinformation coming at you which could take us down another rabbit hole in terms of russia and where are these information sources what are facebook and some of the big media giants doing in terms of elections at the moment and so people say i need a filter because i can't process everything that's coming at me so QAnon provides a relatively simple but in behind quite complex and and diverse filter I mean, to what degree? Like, to what degree is Christianity that we're saying, no, no, this is a lens to see the world. This is the meta story, the big story that you want to see the world. And how do we sit in that conversation with something like QAnon? I mean, I think that one of the first things, like with QAnon, when when you do hear about it, it, it sounds some of the claims do sound ludicrous, you know, and, and like I've tried to explain this to people, and they're like, "You're kidding me." Be, there's not going to be people in my church who believe this, and then they encounter people who do. And, and when you've conversed with people, you know, there's very much this language, people who are going into this and then breaking off relationships with family members. So there's some of the dynamics that we see with new religious movements and even cults in this. So there's an element here, I think, of actually staying in relationship with people as much as possible, helping them question um, some of these things. And this, this is where, again, too, I think in some ways the church finds itself back almost what we found in the, in the first century where the church was seen as a bit sceptical of some of the um, mystery religions coming in and the different guilds and you know, esoteric beliefs and stuff like that. And some of the, some of, I think, the um, uh, you know, criticism of the church was almost they were like atheists because they would question some of these things. So I think there's an element here where I think what 
scripture gives is a worldview which helps us understand the world. I think it's a good story to help us understand humans, which I know is one of the themes of this, but also there's a redemptive element in this. What it does do is undermine these stories which place you in that camp and us over here. And I think the culture war that America is exporting around the world at this point in time and is washing into Britain and Australia, it's a very us and them worldview. And, you know, I think that what scripture does is it actually has this hermeneutic sufficient that it puts on me where I have to question myself, my flesh, how I view the world. So there's a, there's a healthy skepticism in, in, in the midst of that, uh, that I think that we can actually play, but also a skepticism that is, that is walks hand in hand with loving people for who they truly are beyond their ideology, beyond their identity, whatever they are. Like we're called to love everyone. And I think guiding people through something and loving them, um, I think it's something that scripture invites us into in the Christian story. Easy, easier said than done, but I still think that's the way forward. Because there's a fine line, isn't there, with that QAnon skepticism um, because they have questioning of everything. Is But there is ultimately a Gnostic element to it where you get set special inner knowledge, where you're you're on the inside, you you now know and everybody else is, is foolish because they don't. Well, well, one of QAnon's sort of statements is sort of question everything and go down the rabbit hole. And I think that's been weaponized. So RT, Russia Today, which is the overseas um, arm of Russian TV, which is used to influence, um, their statement is question everything. So there's almost an element that what this is, is the enlightenment idea that Western people or anyone could find through rational inquiry, uh, actual truth, and the individual could find truth. I think what we're discovering is that actually truth is is also communal and that we find truth not as individuals, but we walk together. When, when scriptures is talking about finding wisdom, it's doing that as the people of God together. And that's where someone can correct. Someone come in. You know, Paul is doing so much correcting a false teaching, you know. So I think Paul would not be shocked by QAnon. Um, you know, he would just be another thing that he's, he's dealing with. I think I think I find that the fascinating bit about QAnon and and hopefully possibly our path through it, which is that QAnon uh, thrives in community, in people affirming other people's beliefs and recognizing, yes, I've seen that too, or have you noticed this come in? And there's this collective element because that's what we crave. We crave community, and our humanity is rooted in community. But the, what the QAnon community is doing and, and the ideology is forcing you into a segment, segmented community. We are right. You are wrong. Trump's the savior. These guys are the demons. The dehumanizing process of QAnon should send alarm bells ringing for every evangelical Christian out there, every Christian out there, because our faith, our guiding ideology is about reconciliation, is about recognizing the other and drawing them into the kingdom of God. So when our story, our community is seen to other somebody and devalue them, dehumanize them, that should be the, the biggest warning bell ever, because actually ours is a narrative that says come in, um, uh, be reconciled, not um, the enemy is out there and we need to stand against them. And I think for me, that's the 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 biggest opportunity of a story of what does it mean to be human? It means recognizing the other and recognizing yourself with them as opposed to against them. Mm, I agree. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's almost like what QAnon's shown us is there, there was a couple of fascinating articles. One was about Peloton, which I think in America is that bike fitness thing. 
like how they're getting radicalized. So there's whole Peloton groups now that all together got radicalized into Q and CrossFit groups. And, um, and there was one about in Australia, wellness groups, like whole yoga studios, vegan groups. And I think there was almost this thing a few years ago, we were talking about like, oh, people can just live without God. There's this sense where their new community just around, you know, Peloton cycling together. But actually what it's showing is that people can't live content free. And they actually are desiring the deeper answers. And I think you're 100% right. They're looking, you know, the fact that they're saying yes to QAnon, maybe that's a bit shame on us because we just thought that people are happy in 21st century Western culture to live without God. And they're like, they believe that. Well, maybe we should have been more bold in now, you know, believing that they actually wanted to believe in, in something, you know, like the gospel. Um, but I think you're right. The, the othering, and we see that all over the place. I think it's it's not just QAnon. We see that in, in a lot of the political radicalism of left and right, in nationalism. It's like, I've got what I think what some of these things do is I want an identity, but some of these identities come with that, polarity of defining exactly just that against the other where i think what the gospel does is it, it makes us look at ourselves and it has this radical openness um, through christ to to you know others in one sense it's a really disorientating conversation i mean and could be slightly depressing if we're not really careful in terms of just the scale of the problems. But we're seeing the glimpses though, everything is being fragmented, everyone is disorientated, everyone is 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 feeling kind of fractured and under pressure again. The individual and radical individualism is struggling at this moment. We saw that in lockdown, people aren't designed to be to do that. They want relationship. Nationalism's on the rise, consumerism's on the right. There are other stories coming up because people are like, give me something, give me a way to process the sheer amount of data and information coming at me. And I think in glimpsing in here, it's also the positive, like the church and Christianity has this moment to engage a culture that's actually desperate for another, like the lens <laughs> that will actually work in this moment rather than some, I mean, you know, it, it is, to me, it's disconcerting how many people are, hooked by QAnon in the madness of it, but also that's, wow, there's such a desperate need out there in this moment, as you were saying, Joe, for, but it's also hugely challenging because we can't gather in the traditional way in which we would welcome people into community, which is one of the big aspects of what church life looks like. So this is challenge of doing that in this particularly networked moment, which is, I know, a narrow version of what you were saying previously, but because we can't gather in real in-person meetings, like, so I suppose I want to tip a little bit to uh, just for those who are depressed and disoriented at this moment, <laughs> where, where do we begin to move through this and chart a pathway out that's positive uh, and affirming? I had a moment, I think it was 2014, and I was visiting my friend in Copenhagen. And it was just summer and it was this incredible night. And we were walking through and just beautiful Copenhagen. Copenhagen was, you know, lauded as the global hipster capital of bicycling and you know where you should be so here in the center of Copenhagen walking down downtown walking past these beautiful sort of like lakes and all these super attractive people and sat down with my mate and we're just sitting there we're just talking and there were just these young people coming out and they're looking at their phones and it was sort of like I, th I think it was when tinder was first hitting and it was just this sort of like moment where I looked at this and everything looks so beautiful everyone looks so beautiful but underneath it there was this really loneliness of that. This is how we're connecting out. It was almost like the movie Her, Spike Jones's movie Her, um, where it's this beautiful future and it's sort of content free and everything's beautiful and nice, but underneath it, there's this emptiness. 
So I think there's a moment, like, as we look in 2020 and we look at everything that's going on, we can always look back to, like, oh, before this, when it was just all wonderful. But there was an, and I, and I, I, my statement for that moment was the beautiful apocalypse. It was like, here's the apocalypse of, of lack of meaning and emptiness, yet it's beautiful. That's why it's alluring. Yeah, and I think back before this and, you know, I think, like, well, you know, what was happening before? Like, people are just sitting around watching Big Brother. Like, like what was this the good times? Like, there was a radical emptiness at that time. And, you know, I feel that one of the things that, that when I look at the biblical history, when I look at church history, when I look at my own life, one of my key things that I hold on to is that renewal follows crisis. The crisis was subsumed. What happened before is the crisis was still in individually experienced and in beautiful places like Denmark, there was still far too many young people taking their lives and, and, and people were like suffering from their own individualized apocalypse, if you like, of mental health and isolation and disconnection. One of the things that has surprised me is that in Australia and New Zealand, through our, our, or Melbourne and New Zealand, through our lockdown, is that actually suicide went down which was the opposite of what everyone predicted. And I have not heard a good reason why. I do wonder, I've heard similar things like things during the blitz, similar things happened. And there's an element of a communal experience that I've had people who I've talked to and they're like, man, this Melbourne lockdown's hard. This is really difficult. And then you talk a little bit and it's just like, there's an element I'm actually enjoying it. It was so bizarre because it was like, we're in this together. There was one point in my street where I looked out and I saw 14 neighbors all talking in the street. And there is a little library in our street of books that people are coming and using. It never seen that. In, like the church tried to do community for so long and try and facilitate community. We get this pandemic and all these like community initiatives break out. Another friend who's on staff at church, someone put in all the, the letterboxes, I'm a younger person if you're an older person and you need help getting groceries. So there's this element that in the midst of this, it feels like a crisis, but I think crisis has had to, in some sense, come upon the West for us to, to realize the possibility that we actually can't live without God, that also that we're not God, that the mythology that we lived with is that we could build this perfect world, governments could manage everything, technology could get us to this point, and we'd have this wonderful world where, you know, I experienced that I could go to London and use the Uber app that I use here and use my Melbourne coffee app to find a Melbourne-style coffee in New York. I understood that, that movement. But there's an element that actually what's happened here is that world has been pulled down and exposed. And once that world has been pulled down and shown as unresilient, a global economy is not resilient. Like a little virus is defeating it. And so there's an element there. I think that's opening up a gigantic existential quest, quest for people. And at moments where that happened before in Britain, when Britain at that period of the Industrial Revolution, which we talked about in the last episode, when people moved from the countryside to the cities and lost identity and there was clashing stories and they didn't have the internet, but had all these papers that all on different, you know, there's a million and one different papers of different political suasions and, and British streets of people arguing and there was riots and there was all things going on. In the midst of that, God did this incredible turnaround uh, for, for Britain and uh, it changed the face of the nation and it had a justice element, it had a gospel element. And, you know, I, I, I was probably a pet. I sound like a pessimist when everything was looking good. I'm choosing now to sound like an optimist when everything's looking bad, because I actually do think that I'm seeing and hearing conversations, people in alpha groups are, are saying stuff for the first time I've never heard before. So I think there's an opening. Is it going to be everyone? No. But is there a moment? You know, I, I've walked around London um, two years ago with my wife and prayed at different sites. 
like where there had been renewals. And I remember at that time praying for renewal to come to, to, to Great Britain again and for my country where so many of those stories ended up in my country. Did we honestly think that was going to happen without a crisis? <laughs> like was just, we get to the point where we have so many different varieties of ice cream that we fall over and ask why, you know, where is God? Um, you know, I think that the dislocation that we're in is opening up as it always has a possibility of a new story. And at moments like this, I think the church comes into its own as it realizes it can't do it, but actually God can. I love that. I think there's, um, something really powerful isn't there about this acknowledgement that crisis elevates and exposes um i was listening to actually an interview with john stewart asking why did he think that both lives matter um movement had kicked off so dramatically in the us after george floyd when it hadn't done it after sandy hook or, or a number of the other shootings it, it, what what was different and, and he was saying that he he didn't really know there wasn't anything different. Um, there was the Will Smith quote that racism isn't getting worse, it's just getting filmed. But it, it was being filmed before, so what had changed? And his argument was people's lives have changed. They can't be distracted. They can't just sit and watch Big Brother, Love Island's Great British Bake Off. Actually, everything has, has, has been stripped away, so all they have left is the cracking of their stories, is the loneliness, is the devaluation, the dehumanization, and they rally because there is nothing else to, to, to squash it. Um, and this is that moment, the exposing moment, where the gospel can break in and bring new life. And I think it's an amazing opportunity for the church. I completely agree. We've seen Alpha kick off in the UK in a way that it just hasn't managed to before um, because people haven't got anything better to do on a Thursday night. Um, and, and they want to explore and they want to ask questions. And we, we want to be connected because at the moment we are all on our own. Um, it's an amazing opportunity really encouraging. So we've got that sense of dislocation. We are not God. We sort of, an awareness, a growing awareness that we aren't actually masters of our own lives because this virus has come in and and knocked so many people and, and adjusted our lifestyles. We realize that tech can't solve everything. I mean, it has its wonderful uses at times, like our ability to have this conversation, but actually can't do everything. And I, for me, I guess something you've written, Mark, in, in Reappearing Church around the secularism, I think a lot of these things still tie into one of the overarching stories out there is still a, a secularism that we can live without God. And that many of those stories that sit under that are still some form of rejection of that. And that the counterformation you were arguing in Reappearing Church is, is, God's, is uh, God's presence. And I suppose I want to just push. So we've said, I, I think it's coming across really clearly one side of that, but you're pushing harder than that. So this is not just, oh, great, church is the answer. That's it. Great. We've been through a crisis. Renewal follows. Crisis mm. precedes renewal, but it doesn't guarantee it. Uh, and mm. I, I love us just to push in a little bit. You talked about, I think it's hot mm. orthodoxy. Um, mm. Truth and presence. Like this is more than just, oh, it's great. We're in the God story. That'll, that'll win out in the mm. end. It, it won't mm. unless we're pursuing God's presence and going after that, contending for mm. it in a fresh way. Mm. You want to say a little bit more about that? Yeah. And I probably even add some new language that I really feel God has sort of just put before me in the last week, which is, you know, I've had people say to me, you know, you've been talking about renewal 
Um, and this hasn't felt like renewal to some people because we can't meet in churches and, you know, what's going on. And, you know, renewal in people's minds was vast amounts of people coming together and, you know, worshipping or hearing the gospel preached or whatever. Um, and I really felt like the Holy Spirit said recently, we need a, a renewal, but we need a reformation. And the first reformation was when the Bible was put back in the hands of people. I feel like there's a second reformation that's needed when actually the Bible gets put back in people's hearts. I think what we're seeing in, in QAnon, um, I think part of the reason that it's going to the American evangelical church is the American evangelical church has a huge amount of cultural Christianity. What's actually happening is we're washing into the world of so much of these evangelicals and some of the pure research on what some of them do, you know, that some of them said, Oh, I'm an evangelical I watch Fox news. So we're seeing toxic cultural Christianity. And I look at the generation coming up, and I feel like we need a renewal. A renewal is when God's holy breath breathes through existing structures and brings life to them. So there was like the great renewals of like the, the 18th century, but then there was follow-ons. It was like aftershocks where some denominations, like you had Methodism started with John Wesley, but then in the, in the 19th century, you know, um, William Booth and Catherine Booth, it was like that dream was picked up again in a new way and fire breathed through in a new particular way. Reformation, as I'm talking about here, I think is the reforming of the carriers of the holy fire. And, you know, I think about one of my reads of the UK is I come and what I love in, in evangelical uh, UK is the, the love of the presence of God. Come Holy Spirit is one of the great prayers of British evangelicalism that I don't experience in the same way. Um, and I have such an identification um, with uh, UK evangelicalism. But I, I wonder if some of that is actually built on standing on the shoulders of past you know, heroes and giants. And, you know, I wonder whether it's like there's the aftershock of the presence of God. And I wonder if, if in 2019, if the Holy Spirit had broken out and a renewal had kicked off in England and in Wales and, and Ireland and Scotland and gone across the UK, would it be a flash? Because we saw some renewals that were flashes in the pans where everything got heated up. And even after the Welsh revival, it was interesting that it went to theosophy and there was almost like proto-New Age. There were people who went into weird heresies after that and so on in some places. What actually if God has stopped all our ways of doing things and actually taken out our strongest resources because he wants us to rebuild. He actually wants us to reimagine actually what church could look like. Um, he wants us to actually build a resilient church um, and this is, I've heard numbers of epidemiologists say is <clears throat> the, the pandemic is the test run for when one comes, which a much higher fatality rate. Um, you know, Spanish flu took on, I think it's due in the next six years or something, you know, so it'll be like, they're like, this will happen again soon, but probably with a higher death rate. But then I thought, what, what if this is the resiliency of the church? So what if maybe in the future, for whatever reason, we can't meet again, but what if there were churches which created structures that were adaptable? One time there can be a thousand people worshiping. Other times it could be house churches. But also too, I feel like there's a generation of young leaders coming up in the UK who have the, the presence, but also what they need now is the formation in their hearts. And they, they need to actually learn how to integrate with the culture. Um, if you don't mind me, continuing to go on I'll, I'll say can i say, say one more thing for the uk is that okay thank you i i have i have a like there was a fascinating article um i read in the uk and it, it caught my attention because it says it said australia is the new model for the uk 
and it was fascinating. So it said at the top, at the top, um, at the top, which is how Australia is running its government and and how we've created, a, you know, a, a successful Asia-focused multicultural. You know, we haven't, we didn't go through a GFC. You know, that there was people at the top of the Conservative Party saying, let's maybe Australia should be the model post post Brexit. You know, and I looked at this; it's quite hilarious as an Australian to see this. Um, and, you know, I felt like, man, let Britain be Britain. Let, let Britain be what it called to be. I, I see a Britain which has an incredible heritage, which I look at and see and see wonderful things. And I see a British church that's got wonderful things, but I also see a British church which is in a reactive moment where sometimes its leadership's actually been taken from the US and a US which is increasingly in crisis. And I see Britain positioned in the world in this incredible way where it is this all these Commonwealth connections. So this is what would spiritual Britain 2.0 look like? Um, where actually Britain took the place that it has, not in a position of power, but actually listened to all the stories. Like in the city of London, all the different migrants and Christian stories. What an incredible resource. Um, so I have this sense that actually I, my encouragement to everyone listening here is don't be reactive. Uh, things look perhaps chaotic. You know, is the union in danger? Whatever happens, the church is not in danger. And there's this incredible unity across Britain. And I just would like to send out my call to a next generation of leaders to actually be formed in Britain and actually step into the heritage that you have from the past. And that's not just Britain. That may actually be Commonwealth countries who have actually come to the UK and bring that beautiful story. And, and what if the flip side of the, of the Commonwealth story is actually that where treasure was taken, actually now treasure will be received and Britain will learn. Um, and then actually something new will be birthed and a proactive British church, which continues the story on into the next generation is not just living on the fumes of the past, copying what's happening in America, but actually steps forward in a new way. I'll stop preaching now. <laughs> oh, no, no, it was good. It was good, Joe. I loved that. Um, I, 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 I completely agree. It just reminded me, I was, um, heard this story of um, a chess champion, chess master, um, and his tactic for practicing was to take the queen off the board. How does he win a chess match without the queen, without his most important player? Uh, player and um and i just think that's what we're we're being asked to do here that's the strategy for leadership the, the thing you revolve everything else around has been taken off the board how do you play the game um how do you foster church how do you survive this how do you build resilience how do you learn new tactics because actually church is still church um we are still the body of christ in this moment but our normal way of operating isn't isn't working um none of that the the saying at the beginning of, of lockdown was none of us uh, did any leadership courses of how to survive a pandemic um we're all learning different leadership tactics here and yet the younger generation that are emerging into leadership this is their norm. This is how yes. you operate in leadership. And I think that is hugely exciting. Um, so that cry, that heart cry of, I just want to get back. Actually, we do need to resist that because the spirit of God is doing something in our church. We are being formed in this moment. The challenge is, are we being formed into Christ-likeness or are we being formed into the chaos and the decline and the decay of the, of the cultures around us? My prayer 
is that the uh, is that the church, whether in the UK or anywhere, is being formed into Christ likeness as the bride of Christ to step into this situation and to lead well. It's a it's a beautiful thing. Mm. Well, I think so. Mm. I, I agree with lots of what's been said. I think the the local uh, you you've talked about this again, Mark. You know, we're much more interested now in what's happening with a local leadership or a local parliament mm. or a local area because lockdowns mm. have such a specific and the pandemic impact locally. Uh, and the reality mm. is much as I love parts of the US, um, it is an outlier and and mm. taking things from there is bizarre. Like we're in a very different cultural context, you're in a very different cultural context. Mm. And so uh, of course we want to be in dialogue with them, but the notion that, oh, we just lift this thing from America and it's going to work here. Mm. That's, that's mm. gone, I think, and has been rightly pushed to the side in this moment. And um, I think a lot mm. of the nominalism, as you were saying, is also being stripped away. And uh, the, the mm. habits that people had just of going along to church notionally once a month or whatever, that's been broken away. And part of that's good because I don't know what it led to. And and, and then, as Joe said, mm. the, the gathered church being pulled off the table as the queen. We talked, we had some language about react, reset, renew. And part of that was that you had to react mm. initially, but there has to be a reset moment. And the danger almost was we were going to go back too quickly and there wasn't a full reset. Mm. And therefore, mm. no deep thinking was done. Everyone was just burned out from the react phase. Looked like July, mm. oh, we're almost kind of back to normal. This is running one direction. And then suddenly there was a kind of um, re- hit reverse moment. And we realized it's going to be a mm. lot longer and a lot more difficult. And and that's the moment for a much more fundamental reset. I love that spiritual Britain mm. 2.0. Um, and, mm. uh, you know, what does it look like then to pursue God's presence in this season? in a different way and i think it's schaefer talked about reformation and revival you've you know reformation mm. renewal i think you've put it as so mm. we've got to do both there is a formation piece that's absolutely critical in this moment um but that's got to be linked with going after god's presence and pursuing that in a different way contending for the streets around us contending for the towns and the cities and the places that we're in which have all become much more local i haven't traveled anywhere in a while i don't think i can quite mm. cope if you tell me i can't travel anywhere till 2022 um, <laughs> but that's for Australians. Yes, I know. I, there's a whole other tangent about how, how do you get out mm. of this thing if you go into the hard mm. lockdown and on all these questions. But I just think it is this. There is a huge moment in this if we can navigate and think a way through it. Uh, Joe, mm. a parting thought from you, then a parting thought from Mark, and then we better wrap this thing up. Um, I think I've just been really challenged and excited by this idea that ideas are nurtured and birthed in communities. Um, that our society is craving community. It's one of the things that lockdown has truly revealed is that we can't do this on our own. The individualism story narrative has utterly, utterly crumbled. Um, so this is the opportunity because the church, the new humanity is is a communal um, endeavour. Um, and so this is such an opportunity for the church to imagine what it means to, to embed and embody our story and community. Um, and what does that mean in a digital world, in, in, a, in a local world? What does that mean to the stories that are being uh, thrown around today? I think it's a, a really beautiful idea and a, and a good challenge to us today. Mm. I think I think to add, and I think this hopefully this will line up with when this when this comes out. That um, you know, I found going into lockdown 2.0 very different to leading into lockdown 1.0, and I found more openness the second time because there's a sense like, oh my goodness, like the first one was like, we're going to bake sourdough bread and we're going to do this and we get fit, and then the second one people were just like, um, you know, it was like it felt grim, but 
there's an openness there. So if anyone is listening to this in the midst of going into a lockdown 2.0, you know, just encourage all leaders listeners to really reframe this moment as, you know, I say, we're not going to get a possibly, you know, like a pandemic like this, you know, comes along every now, like the world stopping does not happen all the time. So let's get the most out of this transitional moment that actually God has before us in all the difficulty. Um, so that would my, be my encouragement to everyone listening. Wow. So good. Yeah. Just to reframe this moment, because there's sometimes we can fixate on the instant and what's before us and getting a church open or something. And there's a there's a much bigger moment here to lean into uh, as leaders, but as everybody, as, as Christians across the board in this moment. Mark, I want to thank you so much. I just want to remind people, Reappearing Church was your book, but Rebuilders podcast is where you can find out more of what Mark's saying just at this moment. I've been really enjoying that out on my runs. Um, we are looking forward to more of this cultural moment sometime, but I guess the, the pandemic makes that a little bit more challenging for you guys. Yeah, yeah. So we, we do it in person. So yeah, the Australians are in lockdown for It's not time. coming until 2022, so you have to get Mark on his own and Rebuilders. Um, but listen, thank you so much for your insights, your wisdom, your time. And we do just, I think our collective prayer is for renewal in this season. Uh, so thanks for listening, everybody, and be blessed. So there it is. I do hope you enjoyed listening to Mark as much as I did. We will be back soon with another episode of Being Human. Until then, do like, share, subscribe and rate us. Keep in touch at beinghumanproject.co.uk. Take care and God bless.